If you will join me, please, in Luke chapter 22. We are looking this morning at verses 7 through 23. We're continuing in our series through the Gospel of Luke. And this morning we come to the final Passover. And our key words for our worshipers in training are Passover, Lamb, and Blood. Now it was the bloodiest and most anticipated day of the year for the Jewish people, the day of Passover. It was an enormous gathering in Jerusalem each and every year, probably somewhere around 200,000 Jews converging on the ancient city to prepare and consume a sacrificial lamb in celebration of the preserving work of God in the lives of his people. Long before the Passover began, the city began to fill with more commercial activity. The merchants began to file in and to fill the streets to sell jewelry and fabrics and, and spices. Beggars surrounded the city trying to take advantage of the increased population of the Jewish pilgrims coming from far and wide. But of course, the major purchase of that entire week was a sacrificial, either sheep or goat, preferably a lamb. It was required that the the people get together in groups of 10 or more and eat the entire lamb in one sitting. The entire day of Passover was given over to preparations and ritual. And so, during that time, instead of one division of priests serving in the temple, there were 24 divisions of priests present. And the first duty was to burn all of the leaven that had been ceremonial collected by candlelight and spoon the night before. And by noon, all of the work of preparation was to cease. By 3 p.m., the blood of the animals began to flow. And as the people crowded into the temple, the priest would blow the shofar. And one by one, the priests held a basin of silver or gold, and they would hold it under the neck of the lamb as they slit the throat, and the blood would be collected in the basin. And when it all ran out of the body, the priest tossed the blood at the base of the altar, and the pilgrim went away with their sacrificial lamb. They draped it over their shoulder and they brought it home ready to cook and to eat. Now the lamb was roasted on a pomegranate spit and all of the company would would gather inside a special room prepared for a meal with festive white garments and they would recline together at the table with the leader of the home sitting at the head. And in Jesus' day, the Passover had several additional traditions to include what is called a cedar. It was a set order of service and a young child was prompted to ask the head of the household at the beginning of the meal, what is the meaning of this service? And the host would then tell everyone of the great story of God's rescue of his people by explaining all of the elements of the meal as they related to deliverance, the bitter herbs signifying the bitter slavery of the Jews in Egypt the stewed fruit by its color and consistency, recalling the misery of their ancestors and making the bricks for Pharaoh, the roasted lamb reminding them 
of the, of the lamb's blood applied to the doorposts in Egypt. They're, they're eating of the lamb inside the house and the death angels passing over them to destroy all of the firstborn of every family in Egypt. The first century historian Josephus writes that the celebration concluded quite late in the evening. But many of the Jews returned to the streets after their meal, continuing to celebrate. Others returned to the temple to await the reopening of the gates at midnight that they might spend the evening in worship and in prayer. It was the highest day of the year for the Jews. It was during this celebration, it's full of texture, it's full of meaning, it's full of reminders of the redemptive work of God throughout history. It's in the middle of this that Jesus enters into with his disciples during his final week upon the earth. He made the journey to Jerusalem only days earlier, having ridden into town on the back of a baby donkey weeping over the coming destruction of the city, prophesying that it was to come. And all that he had done had come to this, that they could come and celebrate the Passover on this day of preparation for the final and true Passover lamb that was to be slain. So let's read beginning in verse 7 of Luke chapter 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. The Festival of Unleavened Bread. It's a celebration that lasted seven days in the Jewish month of Nisan, which for us would be around late March or early April. Now, during the festival on the Thursday of the, pa- the Passover m- meal was what was prepared and eaten. So Jesus instructs Peter and John here to go on ahead of the rest of them and to prepare a room for them to eat in. So it may not be obvious in the text here, but all of this was done in a very secretive manner. Jesus knew very well who was among them, and it was Judas. Judas was among them. And what was to transpire with him in the hours ahead with Judas? Remember, we learned back in verse 3 that Satan had already entered into Judas, and he was fully prepared to betray the Lord Jesus. He didn't need for Judas to tell those who were preparing to kill him where they would be meeting for the Passover, lest the meal would never happen. It was timed perfectly. So Jesus made the arrangements, and he sent two of his disciples secretly to to recognize the man in whose house they would be in because he was carrying a water jar. Now, typically, men carried skins, 
filled with water, and women carried jars. So it would have been quite obvious to Peter and John who the Lord was referring to. And from there, it went like clockwork. Verse 13, they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, the master of the house clearly had a guest room, which would have been arranged and prepared for their meal. And once the room was secured, Peter and John had to make all the other arrangements, the purchase of the sacrificial lamb. They would go back to the house. They would present the skin of the lamb to the owner of the house as a payment for the room. And then begin the cooking, roasting the lamb, cooking the bitter herbs, the stewed fruit. And all the while, waiting for Jesus and for the other disciples to arrive. And it was all happening on the Lord's schedule. Here, at this time, in this place, on the Passover. It could not have been a more perfect time for this. Jesus was the true sacrifice. He is the true sacrificial Passover lamb that had been pointed to for 1,500 years prior as they continued to go through this ritual year in and year out, and here he was. What the death of the lamb had been to Israel while they were in Egypt, Jesus' death would be to sinners all over the world. The safety which the, the blood of the Passover lamb had provided on the doorposts for the Israelites the blood of Jesus would now provide more abundantly for all who believed in him. Paul points to this great reality in 1 Corinthians 5. He writes, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And so the final preparations for the final supper between Jesus and his disciples have been made. And it was all in God's perfect timing. Let's read on, verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying that this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood." Now, as the Apostle John writes in his gospel account of this very moment, he beautifully summarizes this entire account when he writes in John 13, 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, John often uses what's called a double entendre in his writing. And here he means that both Jesus loved the disciples to the end, he loved them to the max, as much as he could, he loved them. And he was about to demonstrate that reality to them in giving his life for them. He was going to show them that he loved them to the end of the world and on into all of eternity. So John reminds us of the wonder of Jesus' love for his disciples. And that's really what this passage is all about. Yes, we learn how Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, what took place, how it should be celebrated. But it's so much more than that. It's greater than that. Uh, we see here what 
we only see occasionally throughout the Gospels at all. We see this deeply emotional side of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus is here sitting at the table with his disciples, he tells them in verse 15, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This is a beautiful open window for us into the deep love that Jesus has for his people. Your greatest need, my greatest need, is to know that the heart of Jesus Christ is open to us. And the Lord's Supper, we can know the Lord's heart is open to us. And this supper, this was to be the supreme picture of what Jesus had come to do. It was a great proclamation of all that the Jews had celebrated year after year after year. All they had talked about, all of it is ultimately about Jesus. The blood of the Lamb, it points to the blood of Jesus. Those covered in his blood will escape the coming wrath of God and judgment. The great exodus out of Egypt into the promised land. It's the work of Jesus to breathe life into dead sinners and to give them life in him. That he walk out of the darkness, out of bitterness, out of slavery to sin and death and into the newness of life. In the land prepared for us, an everlasting land with Jesus in the heavenly places. The true exodus was about to take place right here in Jerusalem. And soon it would all come to an end. The anticipation of how the long-awaited Messiah would establish the kingdom will end. The gathering shadows of betrayal and denial and suffering and exposing and sentencing and crucifying, all of it is soon to come to an end. And in all of it, the Son can say to the Father in perfect obedience, I have finished the work that you have sent me to do. He earnestly desired this. Think of this. As Jesus sat and looks around the table at his disciples, knowing that not a single one of them would be anywhere near him in the hours ahead as he was wrongfully tried, ruthlessly beaten and hung on a cross. But he was still eager. He was still earnestly desiring this for them. Just think of it as as Jesus looks at you and as Jesus looks at me and knows of the defiling sin within our hearts, the sin of our eyes and our hands, the sin that we have so tenaciously clung on to in our lives. Ah, He's still eager. He's still earnestly desiring these things for us. Do you ever think about us coming to the Lord's table together and communing with the very same Lord Jesus who reclined at table with his disciples on that Passover evening? The Lord Jesus is saying to us, brothers and sisters, the Lord's giving us his heart and he's saying, I earnestly desire to eat this meal with you, to give myself for you to give myself to you. If you're a believer, do you hunger for the supper with the Lord? Do you long for the bread? Do you thirst for the wine? 
because Jesus our Lord has earnestly desired to eat it with you. And so we come together to commune with him. We must remember also what the Passover meant to our Lord on a personal level. He went up to Jerusalem every single year with his family. They were a faithful Jewish family. They they wouldn't have missed it. The Passover to Jesus would have been a great remembrance of all of his boyhood experiences. One of them we know well. You recall Luke chapter 2, Jesus was 12 years old. He was with his family in Jerusalem for the Passover, but on his trip back to Nazareth, well, he actually wasn't there. Remember, Mary thought maybe he was with the men, and Joseph thought he was probably up front with the women. And as they began to look, they realized Jesus was nowhere to be found. And so in a panic, Joseph and Mary returned to the city and they eventually found Jesus sitting at the temple, speaking with the teachers, asking many questions, learning, growing in wisdom and in stature. Now surely, Joseph and Mary taught Jesus the scriptures. They were a faithful family. And they would have taught him Psalm 27. One thing have I asked of the Lord... That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And there he was, doing that very thing. And having just experienced the Passover at 12 years old, I wonder what Jesus was asking in the temple. What laid at the significance of the exodus was the Passover lamb. And Jesus clearly knew from the prophet Isaiah that a suffering servant was going to appear and would be the once for all Passover lamb, the lamb that was led to the slaughter. Do you suppose Jesus was telling the rabbis, asking them, what is the significance? What is the connection here between this lamb of the Passover and the lamb of Isaiah 53? And then it came to pass. Some 18 years later, John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now Jesus sits with his disciples in that very same city. Imagine as he looks back over the past 33 years of his life, all of the understanding of what the Passover truly means, thinking of when he came to realize it was all about himself, thinking of what it has always meant for him as he partook with his family, remembering his family, remembering the faith expressed by his family. And as he looks around the table, who does he see? He sees his new family. Who are my brothers and sisters? Jesus looked at each of the disciples and recalled in his mind, this is my family. This is the church. This is the great Passover of my life for them. You see, the exodus was always about what Jesus came to be and to do. Geographical liberation from tyrannical slavery was never the main point, and it was never going to get anyone to heaven. You remember in Luke chapter 9 and verse 30, the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus meets with Moses and Elijah. Luke writes this, he says, they spoke of his departure, 
which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. In other words, they talked together about the greatest exodus. They knew that Jesus was the Passover lamb. Not only shielding his people from the angel of death, but even more significantly, covering them from the judgment of God, setting them free from the bondage of slavery to sin. And Jesus saw it, he understood it, he knew it, and he gave himself eagerly for it all. Jesus loved the meal because of what it means for his people, what it means for you and I. He loves it because of what it meant for him personally. And he loved what it meant in remembrance of the greatest work that would ever be accomplished for God's people. All pointing forward to his great work as the Savior. But he was also eagerly looking forward to what would come after Calvary. Jesus said in verse 16, For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He had a full heart. He thought through the reality of the next time he would eat with the disciples. And when would it be? It would be beyond history. His heart traveled beyond the sorrow of his death to come to his everlasting union with his people in lavish, festal joy. And it was that joy, it was that promise of the messianic banquet to come that sustained the Lord in his very darkest hours. The writer of Hebrews tells us, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And at the center of that joy is Jesus' redeemed people who will sit with him at the table in the kingdom. We will joyfully and everlastingly rejoice with Christ. We read of this in Revelation 19. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Alleluia! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. This is the heavenly banquet. Brothers and sisters, whenever we enjoy the Lord's Supper together, may it always be with our eyes set on this great communion that we will share in heaven. This is why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Look again at verses 17 through 20. He took the cup. When he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 
I read that again because I want you to notice something that is quite interesting here. And that is how Luke says nothing at all about the centerpiece of the Passover meal. Notice he says not a word about the lamb sitting before them on the table. Jesus passed right on by the lamb and dealt with the bread and the wine. This is my body. This is my blood. Why did he ignore the lamb? Because he, because he is the lamb. He is the central figure to the new supper. Notice also in verse 20 that Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Ah, the Lord's Supper, when we get, this is a covenantal meal. God has covenanted with us, his people. And we remember that covenant promise. As the old covenant had a covenantal meal connected to it in blood and the special presence of God, so does the new covenant. We see in Exodus 24, the covenant people that the people with Moses and the Israelites were confirmed in the blood. They've entered into covenantal relationship with God. They ate and they drank together. It's a covenant renewal meal. In other words, like the meal in the Old Covenant, so is the Lord's Supper. It doesn't bring us into covenant with God. It reminds us that we are in covenant with God through Jesus Christ. And it's intended to enhance our covenantal bonds with God. Now, there are three aspects to the Lord's Supper that I want us to make note of. Each of them are very important. Unfortunately, most Christians only focus on one of these three aspects without considering the others. The first is this. The Lord's Supper is a memorial ordinance. Again, we see in verse 19, the Lord Jesus says, Do this in remembrance of me. Just like the Passover meal they were celebrating, the Lord's Supper was to take a retrospective looking back at something kind of position. They were looking at something that was to to happen for them, and to us, we look back to see something that has happened in the past. Now, obviously, for the disciples, they're instituting something they did not yet quite understand fully as they gathered, but every time after this, as they gathered for the Lord's Supper, they were doing the very same thing that we do, and the church has done ever since then. And that is a remembrance of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf on the cross in instituting the new covenant. Richard Barcelos comments on this. He said, when we take the Lord's Supper, let us never forget what we are remembering. The just one dying for unjust ones that he might bring us to the safe presence of God. The Lord's Supper reminds us that redemption has been won for us by Christ, the captain of our salvation, who brings many sons to glory. Now, most Christians understand that and remember that. But this second part is often lost, particularly among Baptists, and that is that the Lord's Supper is a present communion. The Apostle Paul brings this out in 1 Corinthians 10. In verse 16, he writes, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation? participation in the body of Christ? 
Brothers and sisters, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are not only receiving something in remembrance of Christ and his sacrifice. We are also enjoying communion with him and with his people. There's a a present reality. There are present benefits of the body and the blood of Christ that we enjoy as we partake in the Lord's Supper together. Our confession of faith tells us it, it provides us confirmation of the faith in all the benefits thereof, our spiritual nourishment and growth in him, our further engagement in and to all duties when we, which we owe to him and is a bond and a pledge of our communion with him and with each other. So when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're communing with one another Ah, But more importantly, we're communing with God in Jesus Christ, in sharing a covenantal meal that is intended to be a blessing to us, and it provides us with strength and nourishment and growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a bond, it is a pledge of present communion with Christ. The benefits he purchased for us, the benefits he gives to us. So you see... The Lord's Supper is not just a remembrance of an absent friend. It's communion with a present Savior. Seeing, smelling, tasting, digesting, remembering His love and His grace to us. The third thing we must remember in the Lord's Supper is that it has eschatological anticipation. That's a big fancy word to say it is looking to the future. The Lord's Supper is connected to what is yet to come. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six writes, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So here in our passage in Luke 22, Jesus says in verse 16, For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. When the Lord returns in power and in glory, there will be no more need for the Lord's Supper. Because we will have everlasting, unending communion with the Lamb who was slain. And so... Since the Lord's Supper will no longer exist, we realize that the taking of the Lord's Supper here and now is an anticipation of a future hope, the hope that exists for the believer, the hope that we have of everlasting life. But here and now, as we partake of the Lord's Supper together, we are all serving, in a sense, as evangelists. We are proclaiming, every time we take of the supper, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. That's the very thing that happened on the evening of the final Passover. Yet how little the disciples understood it. They were proclaiming Jesus' death to one another. Just as we proclaim the death of Jesus to one another as we share in the elements of the supper. So you see, the Lord's Supper is about remembering what Christ has done in the past, but it is also a communion we share with Christ. We share it with one another in the present, and it points us forward to the hope that we have because of Christ in the future when we gather with the Son of God at the great wedding feast of the Lamb in the new heavens and the new earth. It's full of hope. 
Jesus is here transforming the Passover into the Lord's Supper right before the eyes of his disciples to show his love, to show his grace, to show his kindness, and to say to them, I love you. When I die for you and when I rise up again to be your living and present Savior, take this. It is a remembrance until the day dawns and the shadows flee away. You will see. It's only a little taste handed to you from the the very outskirts of heaven. That glorious feast, that wedding supper of the Lamb, all of my children will eventually share in together. But this is a taste. This is a foretaste. He's telling his disciples, and brothers and sisters, Jesus is telling us, I love you. I love you still. I will love you until the very end. This is why Jesus says in verse 15, you have no idea how much I have longed for this, just to be with you because I love you so much. You think of God's love in that way? Do you remember that Christ loves you? His blood was shed for you. His body was bruised for you. And he did it with joy, eagerly longing to fulfill it for you. But we must remember, as wonderful as the Lord's Supper was that night, there was still something else going on that we cannot forget. Let's look at verses 21 through 23. Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who is going to do this. Jesus knows full well who the betrayer is. He knows it's Judas. And Judas was at the table with them that night. He didn't hide this fact. And it it certainly casts a shadow of inevitability over the entire evening. Without a doubt, the time was drawing near. Jesus is going to be handed over to be crucified. Matthew records Jesus saying of the betrayer, it would have been better for him if he had not been born at all. Now at that point, Judas did not foresee the end that will shortly fall upon him by his own hand in taking his own life. And yet the announcement of doom from the words of Jesus must have sent shivers down his spine. But there's something else here that Luke doesn't point out that is made evident by other gospel writers and that is just prior to the final Passover meal and the institution of the Lord's Supper. Remember, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. But you have, have you ever considered that Jesus washed the feet of Judas? The man who would sell him for a few silver coins to be killed? He got on his knees before him and he humbly and gently washed his dirty feet. 
Oh, that challenges us, doesn't it? It's difficult to take in. Our instinct is to say, it can't be, it shouldn't be. But it was. And there's Jesus' heart right there. As the bread is broken and passed around, it is handled by the man who would soon betray Jesus with a kiss. And as the wine is poured and the cup is handed to the disciples, Judas drinks the drink of the new covenant. And very quickly, we should see the problem here. Unbelievers should not partake of the supper. Ah, But here we see Jesus giving it to Judas as though it were his last final appeal to Judas of this grand loving heart of his. Friends, if you're not in Christ, as you observe all of us who are in Christ partaking of the Lord's Supper, that is the Lord Jesus making an appeal to you. His heart is open to you. He's appealing to hardened hearts, to your unbelieving hearts, to your your resisting hearts, to your cold hearts, to your closed hearts, to your rebellious hearts, to your antagonistic hearts, to your dead hearts. He's calling you to repent and to receive the blessing of the new covenant in his blood. Because all of this is a visual proclamation of the gospel. Jesus is saying to you, I am opening my heart to you. You have closed your heart to me. There's some in here that will come to the table and will eat and drink of it with a matter manner of complete indifference. But do you not see the stimulus to love and to trust and to adore the Lord Jesus Christ? For some of you, you'll partake of the Lord's Supper and then you leave here completely unmoved, completely unaffected by the love of our dear Savior. And yet, how many times, how many times did Jesus open his heart to Judas Yeah, it was very evident that Judas would rather see Jesus crucified than to actually trust in him. When Judas left the room, everyone but Jesus thought he was going out to do mercy ministry on the Passover. They assumed the best of him. And you know, some of you, some of you may be betrayers of the Lord Jesus while everyone else is assuming the best of you. Someone can be a pastor, a a missionary, a worldwide evangelist, and yet be a betrayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. You could take the Lord's Supper every single day, but if your heart is closed to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not that nothing's happening at all. No, it's that your heart is becoming increasingly, increasingly shut off to the Lord Jesus, just like Judas Some of you may take of this and say, thank God I'm not struggling with the fact that the supper means nothing to me. I'm safe. No, you're not safe. You're Judas. And the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Judas drank and ate judgment on himself that very night. 
And so, friends, the Lord Jesus has opened his heart to you, and yet some of you continue to refuse him. But now is the hour. This is the day of repentance. Now, many of us will look at the Lord Jesus' interaction with Judas and say, Stop showing this man so much grace. We all know what is to come of him. But that's the extravagant grace of Jesus, isn't it? Friend, if you're not in Christ, repent and believe the gospel and know that the Lord Jesus Christ will open your heart and will open his heart to you. He will receive you as his own that you may live and enjoy everlasting communion with him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, to whom does the supper taste the greatest? You see, I think the biggest problem in our Christian lives is that we don't know how much the Lord Jesus actually loves us. The one who most understands how much he has been forgiven is the one who most enjoys the Lord's Supper. The extent of your love for the Lord Jesus Christ can be compared to the extent in which you understand how much of a sinner you are and have been And when you come to Jesus and are conscious of the the depth of sinfulness in your life, and then you taste the riches of his forgiveness and his love through his body and his blood, all that you've always done, now you do with the conscious thought of, I am loved. I am loved unto death. You see, the supper is about Jesus offering himself to us with great great joy. He's not saying, gather together and hold a memorial service for me. He's saying, do not forget what I have done for you and remember how I have said I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Grasp on to what it is that I'm giving to you. The bread I break as a symbol, an expression, and a manifestation of what will happen to my body on the cross. The blood that I share will be expressed in this wine that you drink. Take it, eat it, drink it among yourselves. This is my way of giving myself unto you. Tomorrow I will give myself fully unto you. And when you understand what I'm doing, then your grasp of tonight in this room will scarcely know any boundaries to the marvel it seems to be to you. Brothers and sisters, God the Father has no more to give to you than he has already given. He doesn't have any more than the Lord Jesus Christ to give to us. The Holy Spirit has nothing more to point us to than Jesus. This is a remarkable sign. The Father saying, do you see how much I have given for you? This is how I love you. I've given you my son. The Holy Spirit saying, do you see how much Jesus has done for you? All the while Jesus saying, take this, it is my body for you. It is my blood shed for you. Take these tokens of my love, these expressions of my grace as though they came from my very own hands to you because they do. And as I open my heart toward you, 
Will you not open your heart toward me? Brothers and sisters, here's the question we ask as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning. Do you truly know what it is to say, Jesus loves me, this I know. Do you know that Jesus loves you and has given himself for you that you might live forever? Let's pray together. Father, we recognize in so many ways that we are undeserving of what has been given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. In so many ways unworthy of what you, our great Father, in showing us all that you can show us in your love by giving your dear Son and constantly through the Holy Spirit pointing us back to Jesus that we would remember his love for us in giving himself on our behalf. And the Lord Jesus, as we read the scriptures, as we're reminded of his words, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, as we experience new life as your people, we're reminded time and time and time again that you have said, I love you. And so, Father, as we come this morning to renew our covenant bonds with you yet again, I pray that we do so with all the more awareness of what we do. Yes, we commune with one another and it is glorious and it is gracious and kind of you to bind us together in heart and mind that we can enjoy the supper together. Ah, But all the more glorious we come to enjoy communion with our Savior and our friend Jesus. And so we pray this morning, Father, that as we partake of the elements before us, that any Judas among us would repent and believe on the gospel before it is too late, that any of us would not drink and eat of the supper unworthily, that judgment would be found upon us, And that all of us could come remembering the great work that Christ has accomplished on our behalf. In experiencing true communal joy in Christ Jesus as we meet with him at the table. And all of us setting our eyes forward to the great hope that is ours in the marriage feast with the Lamb. And so we pray, Father, that we receive the supper with hearts open to Christ as his heart has been open to us for our good, for our joy, and for our satisfaction in him alone. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.